Again, welcome to everybody for tonight's Zoomcast on Isaiah's End Time Prophecy, chapters 30 plus, A Brazen Serpent Raised Up to Deliver. Now, we will start in uh, Isaiah 30, verse 1, using the Isaiah <coughs> Institute's translation. Woe to you, rebellious sons, says Jehovah, for drawing up plans, but not by me, for making alliances without my approval, only adding sin to sin. Now, you know, woe denotes a covenant curse, and rebellious sons denotes a covenant relationship. Um, <clears throat> and there's certainly uh, a level on which this applies directly to the Latter-day Saints. For drawing up plans, but not, by, <clears throat> but not by me, for making alliances without my approval, only adding sin to sin. I would like to paraphrase um, from... First Presidency Statement, August 12th, 2021. We know that protection from these diseases can only be achieved by immunizing a very high percentage of the population. We urge the use of face masks in public. We urge individuals to be vaccinated. Available vaccines have proven to be both safe and effective. Follow the wise and thoughtful recommendations of medical experts and government leaders. And from a First Presidency Statement, January 19th, 2021, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has supported vaccinations for generations. As a prominent component of our humanitarian efforts, the church has funded, distributed, and administered life-saving vaccines throughout the world because our desires to be good global citizens. Elder D. Todd Christofferson from Joan Conference 2020. In 2015, the United Nations adopted what was called the 2030 Agenda for Global Sustainable Development. It was described as a shared blueprint for peace and prosperity for people and the planet now and into the future. The agenda for sustainable development includes 17 goals to be achieved by the year 2030. Um, it should be noted that UN Agenda 2030, um, the plan for global sustainment is the plan for global depopulation disguised in humanitarian terms. Isaiah 30, verse 1 again. <clears throat> Woe to you, rebellious sons, says Jehovah, for drawing up plans but not by me, for making alliances without my approval, only adding sin to sin. They are bent on going down to Egypt. 
Now, remember that Egypt is a metaphor in Isaiah for the United States of America. And this is an end time setting for the United States of America. They're bent on going down to Egypt, but have not inquired by at my mouth. Who is the mouth? It's the end time servant. <clears throat> so the, the direct content or context of this verse is just slightly into our future. And in Isaiah, the political leadership and the religious leadership are on parallel with each other. <clears throat> and in these following verses, <clears throat> it describes both political and religious leadership. And we already started out with God's covenant people. <clears throat> they are bent on going down to Egypt, but have not inquired at my mouth on seeking protection in Pharaoh's forces or taking shelter in Egypt's shadows. So Pharaoh would have a direct connotation to the president of the United States of America, but also um, in the circumstance to the president of um, God's covenant people religiously. But Pharaoh's protection shall turn to your shame. Shelter in Egypt's shadow to embarrassment, both politically and religiously. And some examples, take a look at how we withdrew from Afghanistan, for example. And uh, hearken back to the quotes that I just read about the vaccines being safe and effective, uh, trust in government, in health leaders, no mention of trusting in God or in power of the priesthood. But Pharaoh's protection shall turn to your shame. Shelter in Egypt's shadow to embarrassment. I have you know, a good friend who received the vaccine about eight months, <coughs> eight months ago. And uh, uh, at that time, you know, his mind was razor sharp. Um, however, um, now it's as if he's had about a 20 point drop in IQ points and can no longer even hold on uh, or hold um, a deep intellectual conversation. For other officials at Zoan, um, Zoan was the, the oldest city of Egypt, and their envoys travels to Haines, a port city of Egypt. So the connection is talking about two cities of the United States. Um, most probably officials of the Zoan, uh, Washington, D.C., and envoys travels to Haines, probably New York. They shall be utterly disgusted with the people 
who will avail them nothing. They shall be of no help or benefit, but a humiliation and disgrace. An oracle concerning the beasts of the Negev. So an oracle, an oracle or a prophecy. And <clears throat> the Negev, you know, uh, one of the great deserts of Egypt. Through a land of hardship and vicissitudes, of lions and the roaring king of beasts. So in Isaiah's prophecy, um, the day of destruction of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, turns America and the whole world into a place of destitution. So this is a prophecy concerning that state of destitution that is quickly coming upon the United States of America through a land of hardship and vicissitudes of lions, the roaring king of beasts, of vipers and the fire flying serpent. Now, the fiery flying serpent is a direct metaphor to the Lord's end time servant. <coughs> that the Lord's end time servant comes on the scene when the United States of America has been put into a state of destitution and waste. And the end time servant stands in strong um, distinction to the vipers and the roaring king of beasts. They carry their wealth on the backs of young asses, their riches on the humps of camels to a people who cannot profit them. Egypt's help shall be futile and vain. Therefore, I refer to her as an idle boast. What is an idle boast? You know, the several... Uh, chapters in Isaiah refer to Egypt's grand or past grand glories. And because of the past grand glories of both economic uh, might and military power, the assumption is that what has been will always be with the United States of America. However, the both the economic wealth and the military power of the United States of America is brought to waste and to ruin like that of a desert. And even though the Lord stretches out his hands to the people of the United States, in general, they will not accept his help. They will reject his servant and the servants who labor with him and prefer bondage and destruction to life and deliverance. Go now, write on tablets concerning them. Record it in a book for the end time as a testimony forever. <clears throat> this has reference to the book of Isaiah, that it was a commandment of the Lord for Isaiah to write the vision which he saw. 
and specifically so that we would have it as a book of prophecy to know what was coming upon us and how we would be delivered from it if we had eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand. As a cross-reference. First Nephi, chapter 14. Verse 1, and it shall come to pass that if the Gentiles shall hearken to the Lamb of God in that day, that he shall manifest himself unto them in word and also in power, in very deed unto the taking away of their stumbling blocks, and harden not their hearts against the Lamb of God. They shall be numbered among the seed of thy father. They shall be numbered among the house of Israel. They shall be a blessed people upon the promised land forever. They shall no more be brought down into captivity and the house of Israel shall no more be confounded. And in DNC 45. Verse 28. And when the times of the Gentiles is come in. Now, when is the time of the Gentiles uh, to come in? It's when the end time servant, Joseph Smith Jr., opens again the heavens by opening a new dispensation, even the dispensation of the fullness of times, as opposed to the dispensation of the gospel of Abraham, which was ushered in during Joseph Smith's first ministry. <clears throat> now, the dispensation of the gospel of Abraham is not the dispensation of the fullness of times. And it's because the Latter-day Saints rejected the fullness, which was originally given to them, because they would not receive it just like the children of Israel before them. The fullness was taken, and they were demoted to the preparatory gospel. But as the parable of redemption of Zion gives the framework, Joseph would return before the second coming of Jesus Christ to finish the restoration, to gather out the strength of the Lord's house and lead them on an end-time exodus. And truly, this, the end-time servant <coughs> being likened unto a fiery flying serpent, um, a direct connection to the removal of the stumbling block of the Gentiles in that day that we read about in First uh, Nephi 14, verse 1. Well, what is the stumbling block of the Gentiles? And in verse 2, it says that the Gentiles had been brought down into bondage. And the term Gentiles <clears throat> in these verses, just like most of the Book of Mormon, refers to members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The bondage that they, had brought down, that they had been brought down into was the removal of the doctrine of Christ from the mainstream teachings of the Church. The doctrine of Christ being offering up the sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit that we might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, that we might be instructed about how to enter into the rest of the Lord, which rest is the fullness of his glory. And thus the Lord have a people prepared to meet him when he comes in his glory. So the doctrine of Christ having been taken away from the members of the church 
Uh, Nephi likens that unto um, bondage. And we are also going into a, a physical bondage. And <clears throat> this bondage is being likened to being bitten, you know, by a serpent. And the way to be healed is to receive the fullness of the gospel as restored by the end time servant. To offer up that sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit and come out from under condemnation and become God's people. And Christ specifically admonishes the Gentiles uh, of our day or the members of the church to study the words of Isaiah because he had Isaiah record this prophecy um, <clears throat> first so it could go to the Latter-day Saints. And then it has secondary and tertiary applications to the rest of the world. Once the gathering out of the strength of the Lord's house is accomplished among the Latter-day Saints. Verse 9. They are a rebellious people. Sons who break faith. Children unwilling to obey the law of Jehovah. <clears throat> Back in DNC 45. Again, sons who break the faith, denoting the covenant relationship that the Lord has to the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. For even though around the time of the death of Joseph, uh, as is recorded in DNC 124, we stood rejected as a church with our dead, still the Lord called the church my house. Still he gathered his people into his house um, so that they could have access to the scriptures of the restoration and Aaronic priesthood. Verse 28, and when the time of the Gentiles is come in, again, when Joseph opened the heavens, opening the dispensation of the fullness of times, uh, and that was only a few years ago, a light shall break forth among them that sit in darkness. So DNC 45 describes the stumbling block of the Gentiles or the members of the church as darkness. But the light shall be the fullness of my gospel. Again, the fullness of Christ's gospel being the doctrine of Christ. Verse 29. But they, the members of the church collectively, receive it not. Or Isaiah chapter 30, verse 9. They are a rebellious people. Sons who break faith. Children unwilling to obey the law of Jehovah. For they perceive not the light. Verse 10 in Isaiah 30. Who say to the seers, see not. And to those with visions, predict not what is right for us. Or in other words, we don't believe that Isaiah is a book of end time prophecy. We prefer to relegate it to a set of historical occurrences that applies not to us. And to the end time servant and the servants who work under him to declare the fullness of the gospel, 
verse 10 in Isaiah 30, who say to the seers, see not. And to those with visions, predict not what is right for us. Flatter us, foresee a farce. Cross-reference. Second Nephi 28. Verse 20. Zero, that might be in the snow. How about looking at freezing rain? Uh, chances. For behold, at that day shall he rage in the hearts of the children of men. And stir them up to anger against that which is good. And others will he pacify and lull them away into carnal security. That they will say all is well in Zion. Yea, Zion prospereth all is well. And thus the devil cheateth their souls and leadeth them away carefully down to hell. Verse 24. Therefore woe be unto him that is at ease in Zion. And verse 32. Woe be unto the latter-day saints. Gentiles. Saith the Lord God of hosts. For notwithstanding, I shall lengthen out mine arm unto them from day to day, a direct reference to the, to the Lord's end-time servant, both in his first and second ministries. They, the Latter-day Saints, will deny me. Nevertheless, I will be merciful unto them, saith the Lord God, merciful because he extends a second time, before the second coming of Jesus Christ, his arm again with the return of his servant, as prophesied in DNC uh, 101. Nevertheless, I will be merciful unto them, saith the Lord, if they will repent and come unto me. Now, throughout the Book of Mormon, Book of Mormon prophets are continually admonishing the Latter-day Saints in our generation to repent and return, and they define exactly what that means. <coughs> Not only does it mean to um, forsake, you know, what is classically defined as sin, but also to enter into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit, putting everything upon the altar, casting our idolatry far from us, including brethren worship, um, and building structures built and dedicated without any power or authority or um, permission from God. If they will repent and come unto me, for mine arm is lengthened out all the day long. Again, the return of the end time servant, saith the Lord God of hosts. Back to DNC 45. But they collectively, the Latter-day Saints, when Joseph Smith returns, but they receive it not, for they perceive not the light, and they turn their hearts far from me because of the precepts of men. They perceive not the light, and actively turn their hearts far from me. Well, if we turn the page verses 56 and 57. And at that day, when I shall come in my glory, shall the parable be fulfilled, which I spake concerning the 10 virgins. For they that are wise and have received the truth and have taken the Holy Spirit for their guide and have not been deceived. Verily I say unto you, 
they shall not be hewn down and cast into the fire, but shall abide the day. Well, the wise, wise virgins do perceive the light and they receive it with gladness and they enter into the new and everlasting covenant and they diligently seek after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and then to be instructed about how to and follow the instruction to enter into the rest of the Lord in this life. But most are the foolish virgins and the harlots among the Latter-day Saints. But they receive it not, back in verse 29, for they perceive not the light, and they turn their hearts from me because of the precepts of men. Okay, back in 2 Nephi 28, because of the precepts of men, well, once <coughs> those who are the humble followers of Christ um, hear the fullness of the gospel, <coughs> they receive it with gladness because they've been kept from the truth only because they know not where to find it. While there are a greater number who prefer to remain as foolish virgins and as harlots and reject the fullness when it is declared unto them. Uh, Second Nephi 27:25. For as much as this people draw near unto me with their mouths and with their lips to honor me, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precepts of men. In that day, therefore, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people. Yea, a marvelous work and a wonder. Well, that marvelous work and a wonder commences with the end time exodus. For the wisdom of their wise and learned shall perish and the understanding of their prudent be hid up. And in 2 Nephi 28, verse 14, <clears throat> again, Nephi talking about the Latter-day Saints, he saw us in vision, and he prophesies of our day. And they were stiff necks and high heads. And because of pride and wickedness and abominations and whoredoms, they have all gone astray, save it be a few who are the humble followers of Christ. Nevertheless, they are led that in many instances they do err because they are taught by the precepts of men. And what does it say in verse 25 of 2 Nephi 27? For as much as this people draw near unto me with their mouths and with their lips to honor me, but remove their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precepts of men. Well, back in DNC 45. But they receive it not, for they perceive not the light, and they turn their hearts from me because of the precepts of men. Well, who do you think it is that originates and espouse the precepts of men, which are then handed down the line and are reinforced to all the members of the church? The precepts of men. And in that generation shall the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Or in the time when... The fullness of the gospel is again restored. Not many years thereafter will the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And the separation between the wheat and the tares prophesied in DNC 101 among the Latter-day Saints 
will be accomplished. And the wheat will be gathered out on the end time exodus, as is described in DNC 103. <clears throat> and as described in DNC 101, the bands of the tares made strong and prepared for the fire. Because the Latter-day Saints have been given greater light knowledge than any people upon the face of the earth, more is required of them. And if they do not live up to the greater light which was given them, um, they don't make it. DNC 101. Verse 64, that the work of the gathering together of my saints may continue. Well, why does it have to continue? Because it was cut short during Joseph Smith's first ministry. It continues during his second. <clears throat> that I may build them up unto my name upon holy places, for the time of harvest is come, and my word must needs be fulfilled. And verse 66, while the tares shall be bound in bundles, their bands made strong, that they may be burned with unquenchable fire. And again, comparing and contrasting that with DNC 45, verse, the end of verse 57. Verily I say unto you, they, the wise virgins, shall not be hewn down and cast into the fire, meaning that the foolish virgins will be. What is the fire? It's the destructive power of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, that Isaiah, that Isaiah prophesies of. <coughs> Isaiah 30, verse 9. They, the Latter-day Saints, are a rebellious people, sons who break faith, children unwilling to obey the law of Jehovah, who say to the seers, see not, and to those with visions, predict not what is right for us. For all is well in Zion, Zion prospereth, and thus the devil cheateth their souls and leadeth them carefully down to hell. 2 Nephi 28. Predict not what is right for us. Flatter us, foresee a farce. Or tell us that all is well in Zion, that Zion prospereth. Stay on the good ship Zion, and all will be well with you. Get out of the way, verse 11. Move aside off the path. Cease confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. And as a cross reference, 2 Nephi 28, 2 Nephi 24, therefore woe be unto him that is at ease in Zion, woe be unto him that crieth all is well, yea, woe be unto him that hearkeneth unto the precepts of men, and denieth the power of God and the gift of the Holy Ghost. Verse 31, cursed is he that putteth his trust in man, or maketh flesh his arm. Or shall hearken unto the precepts of men. Where did the precepts of men come from that filter down to the members of the church? Save their precepts shall be given by the power of the Holy Ghost. Well, the end time servant and the servants will speak by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. Unlike those who lead the Latter-day Saints carefully down to hell. Verse 12, 
Therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you have rejected this word, this word being the fullness of the gospel, this word being the pronouncements by those who speak by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost, those being the prophecies and warnings in the book of Isaiah. <clears throat> because you have rejected this word, and rely on manipulation and double dealing, and on them are dependent. Or cursed is he that putteth his trust in man, 2 Nephi 28 31. Or maketh flesh his arm, or shall hearken unto the precepts of men. For none of those things are given, or uttered, or written, or spoken by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. Because you have rejected this word and rely on manipulation and double dealing and on them are dependent, this iniquity will be to you as a perilous breach exposed in a high wall, <clears throat> which suddenly and unexpectedly collapses. <clears throat> well, what is a high wall supposed to do? It's supposed to protect you physically just like the council of the leaders of the church to get the vaccine, to wear masks, to be good global citizens, to go along with UN agenda 2030. And don't listen to anyone um, who is saying anything other than what is being proclaimed over the pulpit. Verse 29 in 2 Nephi 28. Woe be unto him that shall say we have received the word of God and we need no more the word of God for we have enough. And reject that which is spoken by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost in preference for that which is not. This iniquity will be to you as a perilous breach exposed in a high wall which suddenly and unexpectedly collapses. <clears throat> it shall shatter with a crash, like an earthenware vessel ruthlessly smashed, among whose fragments shall not be found a shard, with which to scoop lit embers from a fireplace or dip water from a tank. So... JST Matthew 21. And the, verse 53. And the kingdom of God shall be taken from them, the Jews of Christ's day, and shall be given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof, meaning the Gentiles or the Latter-day Saints during Joseph Smith's first ministry. And now we transition from Joseph Smith's first ministry to his second ministry. <clears throat> Verse 54, wherefore, on whomsoever this stone shall fall, it shall grind him to powder. Christ has already declared himself as the stone, and he's about to tell us both the leadership and the membership of the church that's going to be destroyed during the day of his second coming, which is not literally that 24-hour period, but it is the period that begins with the destructive power of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. 
And when the Lord thereof of the vineyard cometh, he will destroy those miserable wicked men and will let again his vineyard unto other husbandmen. So he destroys the miserable wicked husbandmen who have charge in his vineyard. Well, what is the vineyard? DNC 101. Verse 43, now, and now I will show unto you a parable <clears throat> that you may know my will concerning the redemption of Zion. Well, do you have to redeem something that hasn't fallen or been ransomed? No. So there are three elements implicit in the very name of the parable. One that Zion would be established. That happened under Joseph Smith's uh, first ministry, that Zion would fall. It started to happen under Joseph's first ministry, and that Zion would be redeemed. That happens during his second. <clears throat> um, but before Zion is redeemed, um, we have the destruction of the miserable, wicked men in the vineyard. Listen to the metaphors in the next verse, in verse 44. <clears throat> A certain nobleman had a spot of land very choice and he said unto his servants go ye unto my vineyard even upon this very choice piece of land and plant 12 olive trees that's the restoration of the gospel at the beginning of the gathering of israel which did get cut short and set watchmen round about and build a tower that one may overlook the land round about to be a watchman upon the tower that mine olive trees may not be broken down when the enemy shall come to spoil and to take upon themselves the fruit of my vineyard. Okay, back to Matthew 21, verse 55. And when the Lord thereof of the vineyard cometh, he will destroy those miserable wicked men or the watchmen in the vineyard who were supposed to be receiving the mind and will of God for God's people, but instead uttered words of their own imagination. <clears throat> and will let again his vineyard unto other husbandmen. Who are these other husbandmen? Verse 55 in DNC 101. And the Lord of the vineyard said unto one of his servants, and the identity of the servant is identified in DNC 103 as Joseph Smith in his return. Go and gather together the residue of my servants and take all the strength of my house, which are my warriors, my young men, they that are of middle age, also among all my servants, who are the strength of mine house, save those only of whom I have appointed to tarry. That, for 64, the work of the gathering together of my saints may continue, that I may build them up unto my name upon holy places, for the time of harvest is come, and my word must needs be fulfilled. So going back to GST Matthew 21. I will destroy those miserable, wicked men. Those are Christ's terms for the 15, not mine. And will let again his vineyard unto other husbandmen. We just found out that these other husbandmen, as prophesied in DNC 101.55, is the return of Joseph and the servants, or those who were ordained with Joseph on June 4th, 1831, to the second order of Melchizedek priesthood, and thus became members of the holy order. 
But the reason that it says residue of my servants in 55 is fewer than 50% actually qualified to return with Joseph. But those who do qualify. And led again his vineyard unto other husbandmen. What is their job? Joseph's job is to open again the heavens. That the people, God's people, might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and enter into his rest. Well, the reception of the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost in Scripture is represented by bringing forth good fruit. Well, what does it say next? Who shall render him the fruits in their seasons? So, leadership will be destroyed. 56 talks about the destruction of the membership. Not those who received the fullness of the gospel, who brought forth fruit, but the tares whose bands are made strong. And Jesus Christ collectively refers to the tares as the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And then understood they, these are Christ's 12 apostles, now they, have, now they understand the parable. Which he, Christ, spake unto them, <clears throat> that the Latter-day Saints were Gentiles, because that term was defined in verse 53 as the Latter-day Saints, should be destroyed also, their bands made strong, prepared for the unquenchable fire, because they chose to remain foolish virgins or harlots. Also, when the Lord should descend out of heaven. So also means in addition to the leadership. When <clears throat> the Lord should descend out of heaven to reign in his vineyard, which is the earth and the inhabitants thereof. So back to Isaiah 30. Therefore, verse 12, thus says the Holy One of Israel. Because you, the members of my church, or what is left of my church, restored under Joseph Smith, have rejected this word, the fullness of the gospel, and rely on manipulation and double dealing, and on them are dependent. This iniquity will be to you as a perilous breach, exposed in a high wall which suddenly and unexpectedly collapses. It shall shatter with a crash, like an earthenware vessel ruthlessly smashed, among whose fragments shall not be found a shard with which to scoop lit embers from a fireplace or dip water from a tank. So if you think for a minute that our modern-day watchmen upon the tower have the power to save you or are going to warn you of the coming destruction or that the edifices that they have constructed without God's power or authority have the power to save you, they will come crashing down ruthlessly and unexpectedly, and there is nothing left to deliver you from the negative desert or the utter physical destruction which is coming. Like an earthenware vessel ruthlessly smashed, among whose fragments shall not be found a shard, with which to scoop 
lit embers from a fireplace or dip water from a tank. Verse 15, for thus says my Lord Jehovah, the Holy One of Israel, <clears throat> by a calm response, triumph, with quiet confidence, gain the victory. But you would have none of it. For you thought, not so. We will flee on horses. Therefore, shall you flee indeed. For we have relied on dreams and visions of those who received them not from the Lord, that if we simply had our year's food storage, we would get a call from our bishop and instructed to put our food storage out on our driveway and white vans would come and pick it up and then we would be taken to a place of safety and refuge. However, these dreams and visions were not given of God and neither are they spoken or written about by the power of the Holy Ghost, yet they are received with gladness. Therefore shall ye flee indeed. We will ride on swift mounts. Therefore shall your pursuers be swifter. You will flee by the thousand at the threat of one, by thousands at the threat of fire till you are left as a flagstaff on a mountaintop, an ensign on a hill. Now, the flagstaff and this ensign is God's end time servant. So you collectively, who in DNC 45, when the light breaks forth, perceive not the light, and they turn their hearts from me because of the precepts of men, verse 29. And in that generation shall the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And there shall be men standing in that generation that shall not pass until they shall see an overflowing scourge. And no, it's not COVID-19. For a desolating sickness shall cover the land. But it might be the effects of the vaccine. But my disciples shall stand in holy places and shall not be moved, but among the wicked men shall lift up their voices, curse God, and die. So, all will succumb to the ravages of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, except those who are left on the mountaintop and receive the flagstaff and the ensign who is God's end-time servant, and the fullness of the gospel that he restores and has restores. But as Isaiah says, he remains as a polished shaft or arrow in the quiver of the Lord until he comes on the scene publicly. And he has not publicly come on the scene. He does, in fact, still remain hidden and does not come on the scene until the whole world has bought, been brought into physical bondage, having already been brought into spiritual bondage. And on the eve of destruction, and exactly what that time period is, we don't know, but it's a short time period. On the eve of destruction, he does come on the scene to finish the gathering out of the strength of the Lord's house. End of verse 16, Isaiah 30. 
Therefore, shall your pursuers be swifter. The white fans that come to pick up your stuff and the ones that come to pick you up, they're not going to make it. You will flee by the thousands at the threat of one, by thousands at the threat of five, till you are left as a flagstaff on a mountaintop and ensign on the hill. Or the only ones who will be left will be those who will trust in the fullness of the gospel is restored by the end time servant. Verse 18, then will Jehovah delay his coming that he may favor you out of mercy toward you. He will remain aloof. Well, what does that mean? It means that Jehovah will delay his coming so that those who do receive the Lord's end time servant and the fullness of the gospel may have sufficient time to finish the process of repenting and returning and ascending. Because for God to have a people prepared to meet him, he must have a group of both men and women who have entered into the new covenant, who have received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and been instructed about how to enter into the rest of the Lord. And most of this will happen on the end time exodus. And it's the mission of the 144,000 to work with those who have received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost on the end time exodus to help them enter into the rest of the Lord, that they might qualify to enter into the gates of New Jerusalem. And so he delays his coming, that all those who will receive the fullness of his gospel might have a sufficient time to enter into the new covenant receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and enter into his rest so that they're prepared to receive him. Then will Jehovah delay his coming, that he may favor you. Out of mercy toward you, he will remain aloof. <clears throat> for Jehovah is God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. Or in other words, he will allow his people to come into bondage and to suffer the exact amount of persecution and suffering that will allow them to ascend. Because if they were able to do it without that, they would have already received it. Well, they haven't. And so the Lord in his mercy will allow them to receive the exact amount of opposition needed if they remain true and faithful to him to ascend. Um, and, you know, I would liken this to Alma, the sons of Mosiah, Amulek, and Alma 17. Now, these are the circumstances, verse 5, which attended to them in their many journeys. For they had many afflictions, and they did suffer much both in body and in mind. And, and hunger, thirst, fatigue, and also much labor in the spirit. But what happened as a result? The end of verse 2. Yea, they had waxed strong in a knowledge of the truth, for they were men of a sound understanding. And they became this because they remained true and diligent to the Lord, or they waited upon him in Isaiah's language at the end of verse 18, <clears throat> um, in the middle of the afflictions. They had searched the scriptures diligently that they might know the word of God. But this is not all. They had given themselves too much prayer and fasting. 
Therefore, they had the spirit of prophecy and the spirit of revelation. And when they taught, they taught with power and authority from God. And that is exactly what we need to do. And what they suffered facilitated their ascension because they continued to wait upon the Lord and do everything that the Spirit instructed them to do. And thus, will all receive similar gifts if they will, like Alma and the sons of Mosiah, remain true and faithful or wait upon the Lord in the midst of affliction. And he will prove unto us that he will not leave us comfortless. He will not abandon his people, but he will save them. Verse 18, Isaiah 30. Then will Jehovah delay his coming, that he may favor you. Out of mercy toward you, he will remain aloof. For Jehovah is the God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. <clears throat> Verse 19. O people of Zion, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, this is the level of those who have received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. They're the elect who on the end time Exodus qualify for one of the 144,000 to work with them. You shall have no cause to weep. He will graciously respond at the cry of your voice. The voice, God's end time servant. Because he is going to suffer that he might deliver us. He will answer you as soon as he hears it. Though my Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet shall your teacher remain hidden no longer, but your eyes shall see the master. <clears throat> this has references both to the end time servant and to Jesus Christ himself. <clears throat> For God's people being brought into bondage, who wait upon the Lord are delivered by his end time servant so that they might be brought into the rest of the Lord. But your eyes shall see the master. Yet shall your teacher remain hidden no longer. Verse 21. Your ears shall hear words from behind you saying, this is the way walk in it. Should you turn left or right? You will discard as unclean your graven idols plated with silver, your cast idols gilded in gold. You will eject them as a menstruous woman, her impurity, and says, away with you. <clears throat> or in other words, those who receive the fullness of the gospel will cast far from them their idolatry. The idolatry of the drumbeat of follow the prophet, the idolatry of the temple is the symbol of your membership, since there is no power and no authority there, even though um, there are spiritual experiences to be had, when one separates themselves and spends hours focusing upon the things of eternity. But experiencing the Spirit is not receiving the message. Experiencing the Spirit is only to know that there is a message. When one experiences the Spirit, 
one has to open their ears to hear and their hearts to understand. And when going to the temple and experiencing the spirit, if one would open one's ears to hear, one's heart to understand, one may be taught the true symbolism that still survives, even though in every generation, more and more of that true symbolism is stripped away. But one would also be taught that apart from the symbolism that survives, there is no power here to save you or anybody else. But we do not open our ears to hear our hearts to understand. So we walk away thinking that God has just given his full stamp of approval on what we have done. Your ears shall hear words from behind you saying, this is the way. So the Latter-day Saints who receive the fullness of the gospel learn how to open their ears to hear and their hearts to understand. How in DNC 45 to go from foolish to wise virgins, taking the Holy Spirit as our guide and thus not being deceived. This is the way, walk in it. Well, this is the way. Second Nephi 31 and 32. Second Nephi 31, verse 17. Wherefore do the things which I have told you that I have seen your Lord and your Redeemer should do? For for this cause have they been shown unto me, that ye might know the gate by which ye should enter. For the gate by which ye should enter is repentance and baptism by water, and then cometh the remission of your sins by fire and the Holy Ghost. This is the way that we should walk in. This is entrance into that straight and narrow path which leads to jesus christ and to partake of the fruit or in other words first one of second nephi 32 now behold my beloved brother and i suppose that you wonder somewhat in your hearts concerning that which you should do after you have entered in by the way remember verse 21 in isaiah 30 this is the way walk in it Okay, what do I do once I've received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost? Because the way is defined in 2 Nephi 31, verse 17, as repentance, baptism by water, baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, which does not happen when you're confirmed a member of the church. And neither does the church have the authority to administer the baptism of water, which is the saving ordinance. They only have the baptism of water by the Aaronic priesthood. Second Nephi 32, end of verse 1. But behold, why do you ponder these things in your hearts? Do you not remember that I said unto you that after you had received the Holy Ghost, you could speak with the tongue of angels? Now, this does not mean that only those who have received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, can speak with the tongue of angels. But it does mean that those who have, this gift is evident in them. For <clears throat> um, we read of Nephi. And third Nephi seven, who had not yet received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. He doesn't receive that until third Nephi 19. So third Nephi seven, verse 18. And it came to pass that they were angry with him, with Nephi, even because he had greater power than they, for it were not possible. 
that they could disbelieve his words, for so great was his faith on the Lord Jesus Christ that angels did minister unto him daily. It was not possible even for his enemies to, to disbelieve him. He spoke with the tongue of angels, but doesn't receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost until 3 Nephi 19, verse 12, verse 11. And it came to pass that Nephi went down into the water and was baptized. And he came up out of the water and began to baptize. And he baptized all those whom Jesus had chosen, meaning the 12 disciples. And it came to pass that they were all baptized and come up out of the water. The Holy Ghost did fall upon them, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And behold, they were encircled about as if it were by fire, and it came down from heaven. And the multitude did witness it and did bear record, and angels did come down out of heaven and administer unto them. These are events that occur with the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Spiritual fire comes down from heaven and surrounds and goes inside and sanctifies the individual. And angels always come down from heaven and minister to them as well. And it will be the most powerful spiritual experience of their life until they enter into the rest of the Lord. Back to 2 Nephi 32. Angels speak by the power of the Holy Ghost, wherefore they speak the words of Christ. So we've just defined what the words of Christ are in this situation. And the words of Christ in this situation are the utterances spoken by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. While the words of Christ are words of prophets, and that is which is written in true scripture, that's not the context of the words of Christ in these verses. The context of the words of Christ in these verses is the revelation that is put into a man or woman about how to enter into the rest of the Lord and to do everything else, but most importantly, how to enter into the rest of the Lord after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. For behold, the words of Christ will tell you all things what ye should do. And verse 6. Behold, this is the doctrine of Christ, and there will be no more doctrine given until after he shall manifest himself unto you in the flesh, or while in the flesh you will enter into the rest of the Lord, if you continue to feast upon the words of Christ after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And when he shall manifest himself unto you in the flesh, the things which he shall say unto you shall ye observe to do. It is the privilege of God's people in every generation in which there is an open dispensation of the fullness of the gospel to enter into the rest of Jesus Christ during that lifetime. Isaiah 30, verse 21. Your ears shall hear the words from behind you saying, or you will open your ears to hear and your heart to understand the voice of the spirit. This is the way. Walk in it. Should you turn left or right? Or in other words, once entering onto that straight and narrow path, if we inadvertently stray from it, while doing the best that we can, the Lord will correct us in a way that we are able to understand it. He will bring us back. Some people are so afraid to move forward. Some people are so afraid to hearken to the voice of the Spirit 
because they're deathly afraid of being deceived. Well, most people are going to be deceived from time to time. But if a man or woman remains true and faithful, if a man or woman remains humble, offering up the sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit, the Lord will let them know he will correct them. And if they're humble enough to receive the correction of the Lord, he will bring them back. Or in other words, this is the way walk in it. Should you turn right or left? Or should you veer off the straight and narrow path that leads into Christ's presence in his glory? You will discard as unclean your graven idols plated with silver. Because the Lord is going to show you by the power of the Holy Ghost all of the things that you believe to be true, which are not, and give you the opportunity to replace error with truth and lower truth with higher truth. Your cast idols gilded in gold. You will eject them as a menstruous woman, her impurity, and say, Away with you. Verse 23. When will he water with rain? Or then will he water with rain? The seed you sow in the ground, that the land's increase of food may be rich and abundant. Because what did this chapter start out with? The desert of the Negev in Egypt. Something that is devoid of water and of plants. And this is the state of destitution and destruction that the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, brings the whole world into. But those who qualify to be gathered out on the end time exodus, for them, the Lord will provide sufficiency, even though they will still suffer the things that they need to experience that they might ascend. But once they qualify to enter into the gates of New Jerusalem, then he will water with rain the seed you sow in the ground, that the land's increase of food may be rich and abundant. In that day, your cattle shall graze in ample pasture lands, and the oxen and asses that till the soil eat grain silage winnowed with shovel and fork, both in New Jerusalem and when Christ comes in his glory. Verse 25, on all mountain heights and prominent hills shall appear streams of running water. And why is this significant? Because the water has been cut off and the land has become parched and it is likened unto the Negev desert. So in the Negev desert, if upon all mountain heights and prominent hills shall appear streams of running water, that is significant on the day of the great slaughter when the towers fall the light of the moon shall be as the light of the sun <clears throat> and the light of the sun increase sevenfold as the light of seven days shall it be in the day in the day jehovah binds up the fracture of his people and heals their open wound Now,
if we cross-reference DNC 101. Referring to the day of great slaughter and the fall of the towers, when the bands of the wicked are made strong, they may be prepared for the unquenchable fire. With the return of the servant in DNC 10155, and the gathering out of the strength of the Lord's house. Verse 57. Therefore, get ye straightway unto my land, break down the walls of mine enemies, throw down their towers, scatter their watchmen. On the day of the great slaughter, when the towers fall, the light of the moon shall be as the light of the sun. And the light of the sun increase sevenfold, as the light of seven days shall it be. The light and glory which sanctifies the righteous also destroys the wicked. In the day Jehovah binds up the fracture of his people and heals their open wound. Back to 1 Nephi 14. And it shall come to pass that if the Latter-day Saints shall hearken unto the Lamb of God at that day, that he shall manifest himself unto them in word and also in power, in very deed unto the taking away of their stumbling blocks, and harden not their hearts against the Lamb of God. They shall be numbered among the seed of thy people, or of thy father. And they shall be numbered among the house of Israel, and they shall be a blessed people upon the promised land forever. They shall no more be brought down into captivity and the house of Israel shall no more be confounded. And regarding the fall of the towers and the great slaughter, verse 3, and that great pit which hath been digged for them, which hath been digged for the Latter-day Saints, by that great and abominable church, which their church leaders have now joined, which was founded by the devil and his children, his children are the one who are digging this pit to ensnare the Latter-day Saints. That he might lead away the souls of men down to hell. Yea, that great pit which hath been digged for the destruction of men shall be filled by those who digged it. Including the 15. Unto their utter destruction saith the Lamb of God. Not the destruction of the soul, save it be the casting of it into the hell which hath no end. For behold, this is according to the captivity of the devil, and also according to the justice of God upon all those who will work wickedness and abominations before him. And in the day Jehovah binds up the fracture of his people and heals their open wound. And verse 27 in Isaiah 30. Behold, Jehovah omnipotent, coming from afar, his wrath is kindled, heavy is his grievance. His lips flow with indignation. His tongue is like a devouring fire. His breath is like a raging torrent that serves, that severs the neck. He comes to sift the nations in the sieve of falsehood. With an erring bridle on their jaws, he will try the people. <laughs> so, in that day, or the day of the Lord, 
when the Lord brings judgment upon the people of the whole earth. And the people either qualify for mercy or justice. Well, justice is meted out by the destructive power of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. So these destructive forces that we're reading in verses 27 and 28 are the destructions wreaked out upon humanity by the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, or that entity in the last days that amasses to himself all political, economic, and military power becomes a staff in the Lord's left hand to destroy the world. Or the world who qualifies for justice versus mercy. Behold, Jehovah omnipotent, coming from afar. His wrath is kindled. Heavy is his grievance. His lips flow with indignation. His tongue is like a devouring fire. His breath is like a raging torrent that severs at the neck. He comes to sift the nations in the sieve of falsehood with an erring bridle in their jaws he will try the peoples who will remain true and faithful to their God and who will join the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. Verse 29, but for you, but for you, my covenant people who repent and return and qualify for mercy, there shall be singing. As on the night when a festival commences, and rejoicing of heart, as when men march with flutes and drums and lyres, on their way to the mountain of Jehovah, to the rock of Israel. God's people have no need to fear. Even though the wicked will be slain, God will be kind and tender, and will deliver, and will sanctify, and will exalt his people. Verse 30, Jehovah will cause his voice to resound. Now we have a transition from the destruction of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, to the Lord's end time servant. Now in preparation, to read these verses about the Lord's end time servant um, who seemingly has some of the same responsibilities as the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. Let's again go to Helaman chapter 10 and read about Nephi, the father of that Nephi who is alive when Christ comes and visits the Nephites. This is the Nephi, who is the brother of Lehi, who was at the prison when um, the guards came to kill them and pillars of fire came down, miraculously, miraculously preserved them, and 300 that day received the baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost. These are the 300 Lamanites that Christ refers to in 3 Nephi 9, verse 20, when he says that Lamanites received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and they knew it not. But it's not that they didn't know that the experience happened. They just didn't know what to call it. They knew that pillars of fire came down. They knew that angels ministered to them. They knew that they had no more disposition to do evil, but to do good continually. And as a result of this massive born-again experience, practically the entire Lamanite nation was converted unto the true God of Israel. 
Okay, Helaman 10. Now, before the end time servant comes on the scene, he will have the second order of Melchizedek priesthood sealed upon him. Um, the second order of the Melchizedek priesthood being sealed upon him, or the patriarchal order of Melchizedek priesthood, um, as it outlines in JST Genesis 14, verse 30. Let's turn to verse 29. And it was delivered unto men by the calling of his own voice. This is God the Father. And here in Helaman 10, the voice of God the Father is coming to Nephi and sealing upon him the order of the priesthood talked about in JST Genesis 14, the patriarchal order of Melchizedek priesthood. For God, having sworn unto Enoch and unto his seed with an oath by himself, that everyone being ordained after this order, ordained and sealed, should have power by faith to break mountains, to divide the seas, to dry up the waters, to turn them out of their course, to put it defiance the armies of nations, to divide the earth, to break every band, to stand in the presence of God, to do all things according to his will, according to his command, subdue principalities and powers, and this by the will of the Son of God, which was from before the foundation of the world. So Nephi is having this order of the priesthood sealed upon him, and so will the end-time servant before he comes on the scene. End of verse 3 in Helaman 10. And it came to pass that he was, as he was thus pondering in his heart, behold, a voice came unto him, saying, Blessed art thou, Nephi, for those things which thou hast done. For I have beheld how thou hast with unweariness declared the word which I have given unto thee, unto this people, and thou hast not feared them, and hast not sought thine own life, but hast sought my will, and to keep my commandments. And now, because thou hast done this with such unweariness, behold, I will bless thee forever. And I will make thee mighty in word, and in deed, in faith, and in works. Yea, even that all things shall be done unto thee according to thy word, for thou shalt not ask that which is contrary to my will. Behold, thou art Nephi, and I am God. Behold, I declare it unto thee in the presence of mine angels, that ye shall have power over this people, and shall smite the earth with famine, and with pestilence, and destruction according to the wickedness of this people. And verse 10, And behold, if you shall say that God shall smite this people, it shall come to pass. And now behold, I command you that you shall go and declare unto the people that thus saith the Lord God, who is the Almighty, except you repent, ye shall be smitten even unto destruction. So now that we have some context to understand, Isaiah 30, verse 30, Jehovah will cause his voice now, this time his voice refers to the end-time servant, to resound, and to make visible his arm. This time the arm is Jehovah's right arm, descending in furious rage, with flashes of devouring fire, <clears throat> explosive discharges, and pounding hail. At the voice of Jehovah, the Assyrians will be terror-stricken. They who used to strike with the rod at every sweep of the staff of authority when Jehovah lowers it upon them, they will be fought in mortal combat. Or, shortly before the second coming of Jesus Christ in his glory, when the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, has finished his work of destruction, um, he will finally turn against Zion with all of his force and might and destructive power. 
And when that comes, he will be directly opposed by the, by the Lord's end time servants who will destroy the forces of the king of Assyria and the king of Assyria himself. Verse 32 again. At every sweep of the staff of authority, when Jehovah lowers it upon them, they will be fought in mortal combats. For Tophet has been prepared of old. And what is Tophet? It was the location where human sacrifice was performed. A hearth indeed made ready for rulers. Broad and deep is its fire pit and ample its pyre. Jehovah's breath burns within it like a river of lava. So those who destroyed the world will themselves be destroyed in like manner that they destroyed. Isaiah chapter 31. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, or those who rely upon the United States of America instead of their God to save them, whether it be religious or political leaders who have rejected the Holy One of Israel and who act and speak not by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost, relying on horses, putting their trust in immense numbers of chariots and of vast horsemen, but who do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor inquire of Jehovah. Yet he too is shrewd and will bring disaster upon them and not retract his words. He will rise up against the brood, brood of miscreants and the allies of evildoers. Well, who are the broods of miscreants? Well, it's those in the United States of America who turn from their God instead of come unto him. Let's go to Ether chapter 2. Halfway through verse 7. Even unto the land of promise, which was choice above all other lands, which the Lord God had preserved for a righteous people. And he had sworn in his wrath unto the brother of Jared, that whoso should possess this land of promise, from that time henceforth and forever should serve him, the true and only God, or they should be swept off when the fullness of his wrath should come upon them. And now... We can behold the decrees of God concerning this land, that it is a land of promise, and whatsoever nation shall possess it shall serve God, or they shall be swept off when the fullness of the wrath shall come upon them. And the fullness of his wrath come up, cometh upon them when they are ripened in iniquity. For behold, this is a land which is choice above all other lands. Wherefore, he that doth possess it shall serve God or shall be swept off. 
for it is the everlasting decree of God, and it is not until the fullness of iniquity come among the children of the land that they are swept off. And this cometh unto you, O ye members of the Latter-day Saint Church, or Gentiles, that ye may know the decrees of God, that ye may repent and not continue in your iniquities until the fullness come, that ye may not bring down the fullness of the wrath of God upon you as the inhabitants of the land have hitherto, have hitherto done. Behold, this is a choice land, and whatsoever nation shall possess it shall be free from bondage and from captivity and from all other nations under heaven, if they will but serve the God of the land, who is Jesus Christ, who hath been manifested by the things which have been written. Verse 3, Isaiah chapter 31. The Egyptians are human, not divine. Or the Americans are human, not divine. Their horses are flesh, not spirit. When Jehovah stretches out his hand, the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, those who help them will stumble, and those helped will fall. Both shall come to an end together. And again, I would read a couple of quotes. First Presidency, August 12th, 2021. We know that protection from the diseases can only be achieved by immunizing a very high percentage of the population. We urge the use of face masks in public. We urge individuals to be vaccinated. Available vaccines have proven to be both safe and effective. Follow the wise and thoughtful recommendations of medical experts and government leaders. Then, January 19th, 2021, from the First Presidency, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has supported vaccinations for generations, a prominent component of our humanitarian efforts. The Church has funded, distributed, and administered life-saving vaccines throughout the world. Because of our desire to be good global citizens, um, and I'm mostly paraphrasing. Verse 3, Isaiah 31. The Egyptians are human, not divine. Their horses are flesh, not spirit. When Jehovah stretches out his hand, the destructive power of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, which the leaders of the LDS church have aligned themselves with, those who help them will be will stumble, and those helped will fall. Or this, those who help them, you know, that is the leaders of the church, and those who receive what they say, when not spoken by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost, are those helped will fall. Both shall come to an end together. For thus said Jehovah to me, as a lion or a young lion growls over the prey, when the shepherds muster in full force against him and is not dismayed at the sound of their voice. Now, voice here being <clears throat> the destructive power of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, nor daunted by their numbers, so shall Jehovah of hosts be when he descends 
to wage war upon Mount Zion and upon its heights. As birds hover over the nest, so will Jehovah of hosts guard Jerusalem. By protecting it, he will deliver it. By passing over it, preserve it. So Mount Zion is New Jerusalem, and Old Jerusalem will also become a holy city. And the Lord God will protect those who qualify to inhabit both New and Old Jerusalems. By protecting it, he will deliver it, verse 5. By passing over it, preserves it. So we have an allusion to a new Passover. What is the Passover? <clears throat> well, that night that the destroying angel passed over the houses of Israel who put blood on their doors, that their firstborn night might not be taken. So, we have the concept that there will be massive destruction. That the only way to come out from under the massive destruction is to enter into covenant with God in the manner that he instructs that we should come unto him. And that there is no other way to escape this destruction. And those who will not put the blood above their doors shall be destroyed. By protecting it, he will deliver it. By passing over it, preserve it. Verse 6. Return to him from whom ye have contrived to go far astray, O children of Israel. And as a cross-reference, 3 Nephi 16. Verse 10 and then verse 13. And thus commanded the Father <coughs> that I should say unto you, at that day when the Gentiles, or at that day when the Latter-day Saints shall sin against my gospel and shall reject the fullness of my gospel. Well, when have we had the fullness of the gospel? Well, <coughs> we had it from 1829 to 1834. At that time, Christ took his name out of the church, and it went from the Church of Christ to the Church of Latter-day Saints. But in actuality, we have it again today. Because although he's still being hidden as a polished shaft in the quiver of the Lord, yet the Lord's end-time servant has opened again the heavens, and the knowledge of the fullness of the gospel is again upon the earth. At that day when the Gentiles shall sin against my gospel and shall reject the fullness of my gospel and shall be lifted up in the pride of their hearts above all nations and above all the people of the whole earth and shall be filled with all manner of lyings and of deceits and of mischiefs and all manner of hypocrisy and murders and priestcrafts and whoredoms and of secret abominations. And if they shall reject all those things and shall reject the fullness of my gospel, behold, saith the Father, I will bring the fullness of my gospel from among them. This has both application to Joseph Smith's first ministry and now also his second. That the members of the church would, in both 
ministries reject the fullness of the gospel. And that it would be, I will bring the fullness of my gospel from among them. Well, what happened during Joseph Smith's first ministry? From among them, after the saints rejected the fullness, then in, in 1835, um, you know, men were sent to Western Europe to take the scriptures of the Restoration, which contained the fullness of the gospel. Um, and, you know, we had the continuation of the gathering of Israel for a short period of time. And then in our day, <clears throat> just as we read in DNC 45. Verse 28, and when the time of the Gentiles is come in, a light shall break forth among them that sit in darkness, and it shall be the fullness of my gospel. But they receive it not, for they perceive not the light, and they turn their hearts from me because of the precepts of men. So this is also being fulfilled in our day. But, verse 13, but if the Latter-day Saints, Gentiles, <clears throat> will repent and return unto me. Enter into the new and everlasting cover. Saith the Father, behold, they shall be numbered among my people, O house of Israel. Why? Because they will receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and when they do, the Gentile blood will be burned out of them, and they will become blood Israel. Just as we read in 1 Nephi 14 about our day. What does it say? Verse 2, And harden not their hearts against the Lamb. They shall be numbered among the seed of thy father, and they shall be numbered among the house of Israel, and they shall be a blessed people upon the promised land forever. And they shall no more be brought down into captivity, and the house of Israel shall no more be confounded. So, verse 6 in Isaiah 31. Return to him from whom you have contrived to go far astray, O children of Israel. For in that day, every one of you will despise your idolatrous silver and gold by which your hands have incurred guilt. And Assyria shall fall by a sword, not of man, a sword not of mortals shall devour them. Now, this sword, so normally in Isaiah, the sword represents the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. But in this instance, it represents the Lord's end-time servant. And Assyria shall fall by the sword, not of man. A sword not of mortals shall devour them. Before that sword, they shall waste away, and their young men melt. Their captain shall expire in terror, and their officers shall shrink from the ensign. Again, there are two ensigns in Isaiah king of Assyria, king of Babylon, and the end-time servant. This is the end-time servant. It says, Jehovah, whose fire is in Zion, whose furnace is in Jerusalem. And, you know, this concludes the um, doctrinal portion of today's Zoomcast. And 
now we will open things up to question and answer. And um, we will again work on the process of learning how to seek after and receive revelation that we might act upon it and thus exercise faith and unlock the powers of heaven.